0: It is just after sunset on the Sabbath day. The last trails of light are coming over the hills, painting the western faces of the homes and storefronts with orange that fades to pink to shadow. A group of women are walking toward the market. One of them knows a dealer in Spice who works post-Twilight, even on Sabbath. They pass the empty booths, and wind their way toward his central location. They are talking in quiet voices as they walk. Still, I do not see the point, one of them says. You should, another replies. This is simply what is done, what one does. But he shall rise again by daylight on the morrow, or the. she is interrupted by the other. You still believe that? Another interjects. And why shouldn't she? We've all seen the sorts of things he can do, things he could do, the skeptic corrects. Be precise with your language, Mary. They are arriving at the curtained edge of the spice stall. The vendor is immediately attentive to their needs, asks after them. Regardless, this one named Mary says to all the women after a moment, I shall go there by the dawnlight. The skeptic shrugs after gesturing toward, for the vendor to begin preparing from, a parcel of the resin of the balm of Gilead. There really isn't any rush, Mary, she says. The others don't know what to think. The next morning... The flowers and trees are drowsing on the edge of a reverse slope of a garden hill. The dawn is still considering breaking. And then the earth begins to quake. A flock of sheep is shaken awake. Its shepherd glances at his flock, who are just beginning to bleat wakingly, rises to his feet, holds himself steady amidst the shaking of the hillside. He reaches down to take up his staff. He pulls the bramble pen closed at the mouth, whispering the name of the lead you to hand her authority, walks through the olive trees as the ground continues to shake. Then, just as suddenly as starting, the quaking stops. The shepherd goes over the crest of the slope, in the direction of the city view, and looks down to see how the city fares with the earthquake. Nothing appears to be happening down there yet. Then his eye is caught by a scene in the middle distance. There are a group of Roman soldiers, dressed in the armor of the governor's guard, lying, seemingly dead, on the ground at the mouth of a cave. There is a giant, A literally gigantic figure perched atop the tomb's ceiling rock, glowing with the pulsing warm glow of a sunset sun. There is a man walking out of a tomb, his head stooped low with the inside ceiling's height, and he enters the cool air of the garden, looks around. The shepherd crouches low amidst some bushes. He is terrified, afraid of being seen above. The man below, the one who exited the cave in the hillside, nods at the glowing giant and walks off into the tree line. The soldiers lie there, appearing to be dead. From the city side, a group of women approach. When the Sabbath was over, Mary of Magdala, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they could go and anoint his dead, entombed, enwrapped body. And very early in the morning, on that first day of the week, they came out toward the tomb just as the sun was rising. A low mist hugged the curvature of the hillsides. They, all of them, grew hesitant as they approached nearer. The half-light made the place feel eerie. "'Who is going to roll the stone back from the doorway of the tomb?' they asked each other. They were all slightly surprised that this was the first they'd thought of this detail. They kept walking the trail toward the spot, wondering— They were rounding the final curve, and... Oh! As they looked closer, peering through the half-light up ahead, they saw that the stone, which was a very large one, had been rolled back. Their feeling in that moment was a perfect mixture of curiosity and of unbridled terror. Yet not one of them spoke a single word aloud. They just continued peering forward through the half-light. And then finally, resolving themselves, they went forward and even into the tomb, feeling so desperately afraid now. And inside, they saw a young man in a white robe sitting on the right-hand side. And they were simply astonished. But he smiled at them, gloriously. And then he said these words to them. There's no need to be astonished. He has risen. He is not here. Look, here's the place where they laid him. He said this pointing down at the burial bench where the set of winding sheets was neatly spooled. The handkerchief, which had been around his head, was over on the other side. The length of the bench was dark where the blood had pooled and dried. This whole scene was lit up by the angel's glow. But now, he said to them, go and tell his disciples and Peter that he will be in Galilee before you. You will see him there just as he told you. And the women got out of the tomb, stumbling over themselves in their bewilderment, and ran away from it. They were all trembling with excitement, yet they did not yet dare to breathe a word to anyone. The entirety of this scene... The arrival of his friends, their hesitance at the mouth of the open tomb, their stooping-headed disappearance inward, the echoing of their whispers from within, the sudden internal flash of light from his celestial friend, that youthful angel. All of this is witnessed by the resurrected man himself, standing between two olive trees just up the hill as he breathes long and deep the dawn air. The light of the new day is upon the eastern side of his face, glowing bronze. When the women exit from the tomb, he watches them and waits. He sees them separate. Mary of Magdala hesitates to return to the city. She continues standing at the tomb's mouth, wondering. The resurrected man walks down from between the two trees. Many years later, a little girl, one of the children of the Jerusalem Fellowship of the Way, is awake in bed and listening to voices in the other room. Finally, she can stand it no longer. She swings her feet to the floor, puts on her cloak, opens her door, tiptoes her way down the hall, around the corner, into the main room. Both her parents are at the table, guests surrounding them. Everyone is comfortable with that after-dinner look of a couple cups of good new wine. There are three particular guests the young girl wishes to meet. She is right to their sides before her parents can react. Everyone quiets with the expectation of something slightly delightful happening in their viewing. Brother Peter, Brother John, Sister Mary, the little girl says stoutly, I am Hannah you know my parents. The two middle-aged men smile, as does the woman. I am going to be in trouble for coming out here, she says, but I had to ask you a question I've been wondering about. One of the men says, go on then, ask. What was it like, she asks unhesitantly, when you actually figured out he was gone from there, alive, alive, Peter and John both nod their heads to Mary Magdalene. She is the one who should most properly answer. Sister Mary, the girl says pointedly, you were the one who saw him in the garden. What was it like for you? Mary is hesitant to speak. She is a listener, not a talker. In fact, as the years have passed, she has shied away more and more from expressing her position as the first to see the whole thing. She likes to hear the others tell it. But now, those little eyes are regarding her. Please! Mary Magdalene begins to speak haltingly. Well, I I was standing there, Hannah, crying to myself. Alone, frightened, and then I saw a man up yonder. He was standing between two trees. I called to him. He came closer. I kept asking him questions. He kept replying, approaching. Then he spoke to me, using my own name. "'And what did you do, Sister Mary?' the little girl asks." Well, I hugged him right round the legs. And what did he do? He said some other things, some other sorts of instructions to be given to the others. And what was it like, Sister Mary? Mary considers her next words carefully. Sister Hannah, it was the beginning of my life the little girl stands back satisfied. This is the exact sort of answer she'd been hoping to receive when she'd, in her bedroom, contemplated the risk of coming out here. Someday, when she tells her children, her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren of all those events, she will always use those last words. The beginning of my life. And tonight... She goes back to bed. When Jesus rose early on that first day of the week, he appeared first of all to Mary of Magdala, from whom he had driven out seven evil spirits. And she went and reported this to his sorrowing and weeping followers back in the same upper room as the Thursday's Supper they'd heard her say that he was alive and that she had seen him, but they simply did not believe it. Later, he appeared in a different form to two of them who were out walking as they were on their way to the country toward Emmaus. These two came running back and told the others yet again in that same upper room, but they did not believe them either. Still later, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were sitting at table and reproached them for their lack of faith and reluctance to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Then he said to them, You must go out to the whole world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. He who believes it and is baptized will be saved, but he who disbelieves it will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who do believe. They will drive out evil spirits in my name. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up snakes. And if they drink anything poisonous, it will do them no harm. They will lay their hands upon the sick, and they will recover. And later on, after these and other words to them, after appearing to them in various scenes and settings, both there and in the Galilee, The Lord Jesus was taken up into heaven. He ascended and was enthroned at the right hand of God, back where this all started. And his friends went out and preached everywhere. They lived all over again the wonder of his earthly existence. And the living Lord was working with them, confirming their message by the signs and wonders that followed and he does the same still.